On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, Austin and I are joined by Lauren Gunn, who is the co-host of the Blue Hardwood Podcast and the Gunshot Podcast. She's also a contributor for SB Nation, and today we're going to talk about her work, her takes on conventional sports media, her outlook on the Mavs season so far, these her season favorites to win it all this year, and we get into the top 25 players under the age of 25. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking the Game Show here on the Nothing Vanette channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, and joining me is my awesome co-host, Austin Carr. Austin, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Stephen. I'm happy to be back. I'm excited to do this with you again. Oh, yeah. It's been a, a long, lonely week without you this past week, but um, we've had some great guests and uh, tried to fill in the shoes as much as they could. They did great, but I mean, nothing beats you know the real deal, right? Oh, come on. You couldn't even tell I was gone. They did awesome. You did great. <laughs> Everybody was great. All righty. Well, I tried, ladies and gentlemen. I tried to give Austin some flowers, but we got a great show lined up for everybody today. We have an incredible guest, and we're going to talk about a lot of really awesome you know, sports topics, basketball topics. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that support for Breaking the Game is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. You're looking and talking to two of them right now. We have an exclusive offer offer for our listeners today. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BTG at manscaped.com. That's BTG at manscaped.com. Awesome. Why don't y'all tell them a little bit something about Manscaped? You know, it, it can't get any easier than a three-letter code to save your 20% and, you know, free shipping. It's awesome, awesome products. You know, like Steven said, they obsess over all the little details. A little bit like we do here on the show with certain things. So it fits well. Um, you know, Steven and I definitely aren't the type of guys that would you know, endorse something that we didn't believe in. So make sure you go and check it out. It's all great stuff. Yeah, it's it's an awesome product and we endorse it. So if y'all are listening to us, we hope and trust that y'all would you know, trust our decision-making process. All right, but enough of that. Austin, today we have a very special guest. She is the co-host of the Blue Hardwood podcast, the co-host of the Gunshot podcast. She's a contributor for SB Nation, and we are excited to introduce her today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Lauren Gunn. Lauren, how are you doing today? Thank you for that intro. That was a very nice intro. Uh, we try. I mean, you're you're our special guest. You know, we we try to make you feel like it's your show, and and we're just lucky along, just to, lucky enough to tag along with you here today. Agreed. Get that. All right, cool deal. So, Lauren, before we kind of get going with this awesome list of conversation topics that we have today, I listed off a couple of things that you're involved with, and I just listened to your latest episode of the blue hardwood podcast today with Alex uh, sandwich. And it was a really great conversation that I heard. We're actually going to be talking about a couple of those pieces today. Um, but before we get into it, why don't you let our listeners and viewers know a little bit about yourself and kind of some of the things that you do? Yeah. So, so just to kind of give a little background on me, I grew up going to Mavs games. My family's had Dallas Mavericks season tickets ever since I was 
could walk really. So um, I've just always been obsessed with basketball and, and everything that goes on off the court as I've gotten older, I, I find it all very fascinating because it's just, there's a lot more going on than just 48 minutes of basketball. So, um, but yes, I do write for the Dallas Mavericks SB nation page. And like you mentioned, I co-host the blue hardwood podcast uh, with Brian Zillum. We do live shows on, on Mondays on through the locker room app. And then I also co-host the gunshot podcast with my brother where we just talk about everything NBA. So fun stuff. It's really cool. Like me and my brother, we love basketball. I don't think that I could have the patience enough to do a to do a show with them. So, so good on you. I'm sure that y'all have a, a a neat you know dynamic in y'all's you know sibling relationship to be able to do something like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we're very close. So I'm very lucky to do that with him. Right on. So Austin, we're gonna go ahead and kind of get started with our conversations. Okay. Our first one that we're gonna be talking about is something that's near and dear to our hearts. We kind of going little tangents about it every once in a while when something mm-hmm. ridiculous happens. Um, conventional, what I'm calling conventional sports media coverage. Uh, you know, you got your ESPNs, the other four-letter network, as I like to say, uh, you know, Fox Sports. You got your ringers and athletics. They're a little bit better. But um, we've had a number of incidents lately come up to where it just kind of raises the question, you know, how do we feel about conventional sports media coverage? Yeah, so for sure. Go ahead. Guess first. Definitely. Well, yes, I was just please. gonna say, I there's a lot, there are a lot of things, and there are so many different angles you could break it down from, but there's a there are too many things to kind of complain about. And it's when you have that many, like too, so many generalizations or I guess um problems within the way certain things are, are, are handled, that's kind of where I get like there are certain things that I just don't read because I'm like, I don't really trust where it's coming from. For yeah, sure, for sure. I definitely ahead, agree with everything you just said. I like that you also feel like there's too many things to complain about all at once right now because I think Stephen and I are something usually in the same boat there for sure. Um, one of my things is that, that I'm just bored with and over with is the fact that instead of actually like reporting the important stuff that's going on and talking about the outcomes of games, these these conventional media outlets – prefer to like create narratives. I feel like they just, whatever they think is going to get the most, you know, page clicks is it's, they're going to push it and they're going to make that the story, whether it is or not. And I think it's, it's kind of sad how much influence it has on certain things around the league, including like all-star voting and, and things like award races. And just the fact that since the beginning of the season, it was pretty obvious that certain guys were going to get pushed for certain awards, no matter what. And it's kind of taken a lot of injuries and a lot of crazy stuff for them to, to even consider like broadening their, their horizons. So that's something that I definitely am, am tired of seeing for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And one situation of, that I want to bring up in particular, Lauren, I'm dying to get your take on this is the whole Kevin Durant versus Shannon Sharp that we saw a couple of days ago. I'm not sure if, did you get a chance to kind of see what happened between the two of them? Yes. Yes, I did. I did All see right. it a little bit. Well, so, I mean, you cover the NBA, so you know that Kevin Durant has been labeled one of the more, quote unquote, sensitive players within the the fine association. And uh, mm-hmm. Shannon Sharp has a very, he, you know, he's a former athlete, one of the best tight ends to ever lace him up. So, I mean, he's a he's not only an analyst or what he's labeled as as an analyst, right, but he's also a former athlete. So he's used to being scrutinized under the microscope, having things said about him. Well, Kevin Durant and Shannon Sharp kind of got into an interesting discussion, we'll call it, uh, on social media. 
And it spurred from the fact that on the Undisputed channel where Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless talk about, you know, numerous sports topics, kind of like what we do here. Um, Shannon Sharp was seen quoting falsely Kevin something that Kevin Durant allegedly had said and went off and proceeded to kind of provide a little bit of psychology on the uh, the character that is Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant called him out on it. And uh, apparently conversations was had behind closed doors. And eventually Shannon Sharp just kind of bowed out and tried to take the high road and said, hey, you know, I wish you all, you know, nothing but, you know, health and a good season. So, Lauren, after seeing that and kind of listening to me kind of talk through it again, how did you handle that whole situation? So, first, I want to say I don't typically watch Shannon and Skip. I'm not. I don't think that I'm necessarily either of their biggest fans. Um, But I did see a lot of of the exchange. And I my biggest thing is I don't really appreciate when certain people in national media or or act like they they know everything that's going on with a certain NBA player or that they know their exact personality or, or they can predict their behavior because they just have this inside. And maybe they do have these these relationships with these players, but sometimes I feel like there's personal business that is shared or, or, or even just like there will be thoughts that are shared based on someone's situation. That's just not their It's not their place. And so I kind of felt like that was a little bit the situation with, with Shannon. I will say I am not a fan of how KD kind of handles his Twitter presence. I'm really, really not a fan of that, whether it's the burners or him just going right back at people. It's when you reach that level of stardom and talent and recognition, it's always going to come your way. You're going to get the hate. It's going to come at you. And you just got to like, go do your thing on the court and, and essentially shut everybody up with how good you are. And he has the capabilities to do that. And so I've never been a fan of him, like coming back at people. Uh, but like at the same time, it's no idea what it's like being a, a professional athlete that is known all around the world, constantly getting stuff thrown at. Maybe sometimes you just hit your limit and you want to fire back. So I can't act like I wouldn't do the same thing from time to time because I just don't know what that would be like. But my my biggest thing is is some, or I guess let me phrase it this way. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people speak on things that they just don't know about. If you don't know about something, just say, I don't know, or I don't have enough information to, to speak on that. But maybe this is what I think at a surface level. We don't need to like speak on other people's situations or other team situations or things that we just don't know about. Yeah, that's fair. Austin, what do you what do you think about how one what Lauren said? And then two, how did you kind of digest what happened? Well, you know, she she kind of covered everything exactly how I feel about it, just in in terms of, you know, we we do, you know, scrutinize the heck out of professional athletes. But at the same time, how many other professional athletes do you see acting this way on, on social media? At, at least at least they're better at hiding it if they are, because KD seems to get himself into these situations constantly. And, you know, obviously either it's not affecting his his brand or, or his bottom line or whatever he cares about at the end of the day, or it's just something that he he wants to do that bad. Because I feel like if it was really causing an issue, somebody in his, you know, his little inner, inner circle or whatever would probably have have talked to him about, you know, either having somebody tweet for him or, you know, hey, maybe it's time to go off social media for a little while for the rest of the season here and just worry about basketball. But so obviously he's he's not too super worried about all the stuff that he's doing on social media um and of it either it's it kind of it's just weird how much it seems to bother him compared yeah, to other, other people 
like it seems like it'd be a pretty you know awful existence to live your life the way they do in the under under the microscope that they do and care that much about everything everyone on twitter says you're never going to shut them up i mean look how how long lebron james has been on top of of the world in the nba and all you hear is half of social media and half of sports media just dog the guy constantly and it's just how it's always going to be kd's always going to be in that in that situation too so you know obviously he has the freedom to do what he wants on twitter if he feels like this is something that's not going to hurt him too bad whatever i think that thing with michael rapaport that one bothers me a little more just because you know it was private and it wasn't really something that they put out in the public for for good reason but at the same time anytime you put put your name on anything like that you have to be careful so i just don't think katie must care a whole lot about what goes on or what the repercussions of it are he just keeps doing it and the the type of you know celebrity and superstar that he is you know if it was if it was an issue they wouldn't it wouldn't continue i don't think that's fair and i want to kind of point out something that both of y'all talked about now you know i let in with the conversation about how shannon sharp falsely stated something that kevin durant had said and then went to kind of go on this like psychoanalysis of him if you will Mm -hmm. and i think because it's kevin durant that we it's very easy it's a very slippery slope that we can talk about we can revert to that michael rapaport instant we can talk about his burner accounts and stuff like that and that's fair game because kevin durant you know he did that to himself you know i'm not going to try to make it seem like he's innocent and in all of this. Right. But what I would like to point out is the fact that these guys who were on, you know, these daytime sports talk shows and things like that, they're labeled as entertainers. You know, they're called analysis, but they get away with some kind of off the wall stuff for the, for the sake of entertainment. I'm all for anybody. It doesn't have to be Kevin Rand. They could have said it about LeBron James. They could have said it about Michael Jordan. They could have said it about anybody. I'm all for holding these people who hold a lot of influence on the casual sports fan and even some of the more intermediate sports fans and how they analyze and think about the game. Because when it doesn't matter if it's Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, Max Kellerman, they have a following while they're on TV. So I'm all for those, you know, the analysts or the entertainers, so to speak. I'm all for them being held accountable when they're wrong about something. Because it's so easy for us to be like, ah, but they, you know, they're not in it to be analytical or whatever. Like, okay, then why are they on TV? You know, they have a following. What they say is going to hold some weight to Mm -hmm. somebody. Someone's going to point at this and be like, see, everything I thought about Katie is true because Shannon Sharp just said this. Right. You know, I'm all for holding them accountable. And I don't think that you guys were. I don't think that you guys were denying that at all. You know, I just wanted to speak more towards that side of it, you know, Uh to where. People on TV, like they talk about it a lot. And Lauren, your guest on your last show kind of spoke on this too, that, you know, if we talked about the stuff that fans really needed to hear, like, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be so much of a divide between the fans and the people who, who are on TV. Right, Lauren? Yeah, definitely. And and just hearing you say that, like one of the kind of going back to the whole narratives that are put out about certain players and how that can drive certain things within the league. There are two that immediately come to mind, and I'll, I'll try to keep it short, but uh, the Jimmy Butler, how he was just kind of like this locker room cancer, and mm-hmm. then when he went to, he got on JJ Reddick's podcast, and, and they talked about a film session, I'm not sure if you guys ever listened to it, but they talked about a film session where uh, Jimmy Butler was kind of new to the team, and everyone was just dead quiet, and he was like, 
this is so weird for a film session <laughs> and that couldn't say anything because he was he was new on the scene like that's kind of what you do and so mm-hmm. um just hearing these different sides and, and jj kind of going to bathroom being like yes that was weird um and and seeing what jimmy is doing in miami as a leader and as a veteran um it's crazy to see how things can just get so twisted and manipulated through the media because i kind of was like well this dude can't stick with a team like there must be something up I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but it seems like there's something up. But because I felt for it too, here? but it was completely wrong. I was completely wrong, and so I'm just like, you've got to. I mean, that was like one of the biggest lessons I learned just watching that whole situation unfold. Because I was like, man, you cannot just take the media's word. You can't just you can't just overlook these things. And and then I think with Kyrie, Kyrie's another big one where there's a lot said about Kyrie and. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know what's true, what's not, but one of the biggest things I think in this last, maybe maybe it was this last offseason, there was there were there was somebody that came out and said he's doing all this stuff off the court and just like named everything that he's doing for his community. And I was like, I would have had no idea. I would have mm-hmm. had no idea if that person had never said that mm-hmm. because the media. I mean, Kyrie is very. He said he makes a lot of statements, but and they're very. He's very opinionated, but you would have never known that he's doing all this stuff because the media, I think they kind of like saying, well, Kyrie's this very outspoken guy. Like you're either with it or you're not. When in reality, we need to also praise the the good things that are being done off the court and not just act like they're not happening for the media. I don't like that at all. Well, the big thing with the whole Kyrie situation is, is partly that he, you know, he criticizes the media people. He doesn't answer that's their true. questions a lot that's of times. True. He does, He makes it hard on them. Then they go and all they do is focus on the stuff that makes him look bad because, hey, if you're not going to give us a quote or help us get a story, like, you know, you're going to hurt. I guess they have hurt feelings. I don't know. Yeah, no, but, I, I agree. I agree. For even sure. to your point about just not following what the media says about a situation with the Jimmy Butler thing, like it it led into that free agency when he signed with Miami. Every, the, the main story was that, oh, Jimmy Butler foregoes winning to get the money and go play in, on South Beach and have fun. And it turns out now, like a few years later, all we talk about is, boy, Jimmy Butler was the perfect guy for that heat culture. And it just, mm-hmm. it's a match made in heaven. And, oh, look, he really did just want to win. And, you know, he's in a big market now and he's, he won a lot of games and he, he took his team to a, a lot further than a lot of people expected. And mm-hmm. so that became the big story. So it all went away that he was not a good teammate. And, and right. the, it's probably the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. He probably was a little bit too hard on some of those young guys but at the same time i i mean he's justified in it if it's if it's for you know the good the right reasons for the good of the team for uh, having a chance to win and the media is gonna like we keep saying they're gonna spin it how they want to spin it to try to get the most attention from it and i'm 100 in agree agreement with you too steven that people with some kind of influence and voice have to wield it you know responsibly but at the same time, I, I don't know. I think Fox Fox needs to watch that Shannon and Skip show sometimes because it kind of makes the whole network seem like a joke at times. It's, I mean, a lot of people like you, like us, like we've talked about, we understand that that a lot of what they say is just for ratings and for you know views. But not everybody really feels that way, and mm-hmm. it really it just kind of makes the whole network feel like a you know, like you said, it's just for entertainment, and it's it's just not how it really should be. They should cover the actual news that happens if they call themselves analysts and reporters. Yeah. And that's my thing is, uh, you know, entertainers, they, they should be held accountable too, because I mean, heaven forbid, you know, a player does something different 
then those entertainers are going to criticize the players. But when the shoe was on the other foot, it just seemed to be like, oh, okay, we're not going to play. We're not going to play by the same rules. And I just thought that was interesting. But um, those are all solid points. And now, Lauren, you're the you're the Mavs expert here. You know, I want to get your I want to get your kind of preseason thoughts. And as the season has kind of progressed, and I wanted to share this with you live on the show. I didn't tell you earlier, but I'm a part of a a group called the NBA Carousel and. I'm not I haven't grown up like a Mavericks fan, but I was assigned to cover the Mavericks. So I've been paying a little bit of attention to them this season, more so than I normally do. I try to watch everybody. Um, I'm more of like a fan of the game, but um, I've been paying a little bit more close attention to the Mavericks. So I want to kind of see if, you know, if I'm thinking like you, then I know I'm doing the right thing. So, um, (laughs) Lauren, what were kind of your thoughts coming into the season about, um, you you know, kind of your expectations from the successful playoff run, I would say, based on, you know, Lucas timeline and the rest of the team. Um, what kind of preseason expectations did you have? How were they kind of met or not met? And where are you at now with the mass season? Yeah, so so coming off of this last offseason, I think the collective feeling amongst Mavs Twitter, Mavs fans, everybody was this group is stronger than it was last year. Like we have added size and defense, which we did not have last year. Mm -hmm. And um, I know, I I think we're going to talk about the Seth Curry stuff in a little bit. So I'll I'll wait for that. But going into this season, we had, I mean, we, in in previous seasons, we always trade away our draft picks. We never have draft picks. So to come (laughs) in with three rookies was like, whoa, are we? So, um, I was wondering what they were going to, what their, what their rotation or spot within the rotation was going to look like, if anything. So I was preoccupied with that. And I was also very interested as to how our defensive schemes would change. Uh, because when you have Luca, like your offense is going to be good. And we knew what we were getting with most of our personnel. The biggest kind of thing that has been really impactful has been Josh Richardson. It hasn't mm-hmm. panned out. It's not been good. I really like him as a per like, I mean, I don't know him personally, but from what I've seen, how he conducts himself, like he's a great teammate, great locker room guy. Um, but I just don't know that it's the best fit and what we expected him to be able to do and bring to the team. He doesn't do on a night to night basis. And that is a huge, huge problem because when you lose the offensive production that Seth Curry brings and the veteran presence that he brings and the playmaker off the bench next to Jalen Brunson or starter, if you need him to be like, he was this, kind of like a Swiss army knife for us. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we don't have that anymore. And and as much as I like Josh Richardson and I'm not opposed to keeping him around, but keeping him in the role that he's in with the expectation that he has is not going to work. And then kind of going into the season, it didn't start off so great. We didn't have poor Zingas. We had some health and safety protocol struggles. We, we were missing five guys for like two weeks like it was just not a good start and Luca was shooting nine percent from the three-point line and so it was yeah. like what <laughs> is this team I know that was the big question for a long time was what is this team because it's nothing like it was last year mm-hmm. um and so I guess kind of as we've gone throughout the season seeing Luca take different shots he started working his way starting inside working his way out and now he kind of is like you know what if we need to go on a run if we need this I have no problem scoring at will like getting right to the cup and so that's been huge because sometimes we just need him to step up and do that. And he does it. So um, they're still figuring out who they are. The relationship between Porzingis and Luca is still continuing to, to gel. It's not perfect, but I, I have not given up on it. I'm in that camp. I know a lot of people aren't, but I am. Um, 
But to me, one of the biggest things that they needed to address at the trade deadline was the fact that we have zero interior defensive presence, like zero. And mm-hmm. they didn't have to. And so that was a big, I don't want to say complaint, but concern that I had. And getting JJ Redick was was nice. Like we needed that. But um, mm-hmm. as far as where this team is at now, they're they're dangerous because we do have Luca. But at the same time, like we there are certain things that we needed to address. And you can't just will that all to happen at the trade deadline. But this team is not what we thought it would be. And so I think that there are the ways you're going to have to correct that are not going to happen all at once. And you need to be strategic with how you use that money in the future. And by in the future, I mean this offseason and this offseason only because you've got to make it happen. And you got to correct it all and then some to take you to that next level. So they've got lots of work to do. I know that front office is like, they're going to be busy, but they need to put the money where the is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Austin, we kind of, we, we did what we always do, right? We, we went at every team and kind of gave our analysis and we were both pretty high on the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I believe I was more high on them than you. I actually had Luca as my preseason MVP. I felt like that was the consensus among a lot of people. Um, So Austin, after hearing Lauren kind of break down where the, where the Mavs were last year to this year, have, do you kind of look at it in a different light or do you kind of share that same sentiment? You know, uh, honestly, my, my only thing that I really felt needs to be just that you and I have talked about it before more than once, Steven, you know, they were as a team last year, they had one of the most like historically one of the best offenses ever. And mm-hmm. it seems like they picked the absolute worst possible time to not double down on something like that. When the rest of the league seems to have kind of mailed it in for most of the regular season on defense, I think a lot of it has to do with the schedule and, and you know, the short off season and this sure. and that or whatever you want to say. But in, in a season where offense is king for sure, you know, giving up some shooting in order to get a couple, you know, enforcers or whatever you want to call those guys, guys to protect Luka Doncic, whatever, you know, didn't didn't really pan out. Um, I think obviously they've they've gelled recently. They've played a heck of a lot better. Mm-hmm. I too am not completely given up on Porzingis. I think uh, you know w- when he's healthy, that's a, a one-two punch that's extremely dangerous. And you know, it's it's a kind of has sense of urgency around this whole team regarding you know when you've got a guy like Luka Doncic, you don't have time to for two or three years to see if a guy works out. You need to put a, a running mate next to him that he that he can look at and say, hey, I can go win with this guy. And if it, it can happen quick that a guy decides, hey, they're not putting the right guys around me, you know, I'm going somewhere else or I'm not happy, this or that. And then also just you know, I I think they're the whole comments on the play-in thing were just unnecessary for the simple fact that if they do end up in the seventh seed, even through this play-in tournament, that's a, a juicy looking two right now. If, if, if I'm the Dallas Mavericks, it's not, you know, the Lakers, it's not the Clippers, it's not the jazz. Who's had a, a, a remarkable season. It's the Phoenix suns who are good. Obviously Chris Paul's made a difference on that team, but out of all the teams that I named, I'm a lot less scared of them. I, I feel like Dallas you know, could catch them and get hot at the right time and, and give them at least a, you know, a seven game series, if not pull the upset in that series pretty easily. So I think that's a pretty exciting, you know, first round matchup to look for if you're, you know, a Mavericks fan. Yeah. And I think that that's fair. Um, but it's interesting that this season, um, that the Mavericks care about being the seventh seed. Cause last season, Lauren, as you remember, they finished as the seventh seed and they, 
you know, that was okay. You know, they didn't seem to have a problem with it last year. But mm-hmm. now that they've implemented two play-in teams, the seventh seed has a little bit more to to, to right. prove if they fall in that spot. Which, again, the Lakers, they're, they're not healthy. The Nuggets just lost Jamal Murray. It seems like the Mavericks have everything laid out in front of them. All they need to do is just kind of go out and perform, and they can avoid being in that play-in spot. But, Lauren, something that Austin and I talked about last playoffs – and we didn't really get to see a lot of it this season to kind of see if it changed that much, really. Um, it seemed like when Luca and Porzingis shared the floor, it looked like Porzingis was out there just enjoying the Luca experience. But when Luca was off the floor, Porzingis was a totally different player. He was more assertive. He was more aggressive. The, off- the offense seemed to go through him a little bit more. And what Austin and I talked about you know, pretty extensively last offseason was that if if the Mavericks can sort of find a way to have the offense run through Kristaps Porzingis, like, you know, the, the Blazers do with Yosef Nurkic, obviously the Nuggets do with uh, Nikola Jokic, the Heat do with Bam Adebayo. I mean, the list goes on and on where you kind of run have this horn set where you have, you know, you're big at the elbow and there's cutting and slashing and things like that going on around him. And I mean, at seven foot three, he's got a good vantage point being that tall, right? So you would think that the Mavericks would benefit a little bit more with the offense running through him at the high post and some off action with Luka Doncic. Now, that's not really the glamour way to play basketball. And I think one of the things that the Mavericks have struggled with early on, I think that Luka kind of bought into that preseason MVP hype, kind of like what Russell Wilson did in the NFL this last year, right? Like throughout the season, Luca has kind of changed his game, and you pointed that out yourself. Where he's looking for his shot a little bit, you know, he's looking for better shot selection as the season has progressed. So, do you kind of do you kind of see what Austin and I were talking about with how the Mavericks' offense could look like if it wasn't so dependent on Luca bringing the ball up every time? Yeah, you know, it's 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 hard because the way they stagger Kristaps and Luca, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to. Sometimes there are games, depending on the matchup, like the night Porzingis is going to have is so heavily dependent on the matchup. And that's a problem, which is why kind of going back to the idea of what you guys said going into the playoffs, the only teams I don't want to play are Utah, Denver, and the Little Lakers. Outside of that, I'll take anybody. I really will. And so I, we just don't have like that when Porzingis has to match up against a big man on the, if he's the defensive guy, like that's a problem because we don't, we're trying to limit those, like those banging opportunities because we can't have him get hurt. Mm-hmm. And he's a little bit more slight. And so sometimes he like Jonas Valanciunas, like last night, I don't know if you guys watched Whoa. that game. He, it's Jonas Valanciunas, one of the most underrated big men in the league. Like you gotta be Thank able you. to, you gotta Thank be you. able to close your own. Like that guy's no joke, but you gotta be able to at least match him, you know? So that's a problematic, but kind of shifting it back to what you guys were talking about with the offensive end. Um, it's really difficult when, because we how we use Porzingis on a night-to-night basis changes so much. And mm-hmm. so with Luca, what I've come to learn and what I kind of agree with is that you the ball needs to stay in Luca's hands. It does. The, pro- the problem that I have is when I'm watching the team and nobody's moving, like mm-hmm. you guys said. If nobody's moving, if there are no if there's there are no slash there's no slashing happening, no backdoor cuts. Porzingis is standing in the corner watching Luca, waiting to see if the opportunity will present itself for him to crash for that backdoor lob. Like it's not going to happen every time. So mm-hmm. everybody wants to stay moving. And so I would like to see Porzingis, you know, pop out a little bit more. And he, he does that from time to time. But 
I do think that there could be a little bit more, like there's a way to have the ball in Luca's hands, but also get like work through Porzingis more because I think a lot of Mavs fans will look at the offense and they'll say, okay, we're force feeding it to KP right now. Like we're trying to get him going. And mm-hmm. that's like, okay, great. But why don't we just set him, get him in his spots, like run through your sets and get him where he's most comfortable and like, let him go to work. Just mm-hmm. let, it's that easy, but force feeding it, whether it's through Luca or through Porzingis is not, there have been many games where that just doesn't work out. And so um, my biggest thing is I need to stay, see them sit, staying in constantly in motion, especially now that you've gotten JJ Redick. Like that's huge. He's so slippery off the ball. You've mm-hmm. got to stay moving. And so that opens a lot of things up for different guys. Um, and I'd like to see them put more of an emphasis on that moving forward. And then as, as you kind of look into playoffs, like that play-in game, I'm not excited about it because there are way too many games that we lose that we shouldn't be losing. And so um, that's problematic. And I am nervous about that at the same time, if we do end up that seventh seed and we are going up against Phoenix or the Clippers, like I'm not going to be mad about that. So you kind of just got to take it for what it is. Like the plan is happening. And so you need to prepare yourself. So you're ready to take care of business when the time comes, we can't be messing around thinking that, you know, we're, we're in this play-in game and we're looking at Phoenix. We need to look at taking out, you know, Golden State, San Antonio, Memphis, whoever it is, and, and take it one game at a time to, to put yourself in a position to be successful because sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I feel like the focus is not where it needs to be. And that's like, I like think- we, we beat Milwaukee, we beat Utah, but then we lost to Houston and we lost to, who was the other, I can't remember the other one right now, but it was just like, what are we doing here? So mm-hmm. that's, that's my thing. You know, I think a lot of teams would benefit from, you know, focusing on putting their players in their best spots and not just forcing them, forcing the ball to them and letting them create on their own. I think last year, a lot of the issues that I saw with the Milwaukee Bucks were, why does Giannis have the ball 30 feet from the basket every time when instead Chris Middleton or somebody else could bring it down, throw it into Giannis, you know, 15 feet from the rim and let him go to work from there. It seems like a lot less work and a lot less of the defense is going to be focused on that guy, you know all the time and uh steven you know i've said this before and it's oversimplifying it but when you've got two really good offensive players there's a really really nice simple play called a pick and roll that i I really really like Mm -hmm. and i think you know it does wonders when you can't figure out how to how to use two offensive weapons you know at the same time so Mm -hmm. maybe that's something they should look into a little bit more i'm sure they do i agree i agree with you there i think and the thing is is that they used to they used to run Mm -hmm. this double high screen where you would have one guy it used to be dwight powell You'd have one guy roll and you'd have Porzingis pop because you don't want Porzingis having the contact down That's low. That's the thing. Those knees. He's not a, so, he's not a attacker. Exactly. And so it's like, if you want him popping, like he likes to do that. So let him do that. But like, keep running that play because the way our offense is set up, whether it's Tim Hardaway Jr. starting, even James Richardson, like he still has the green light. So why are we not still running that with your two guys, your two wings at the corner, Luca handling the ball. You got one guy rolling, one guy popping, whether it's Maxi, whoever. Like Love Maxi. Yeah, so I just I don't know why we don't do that because do it more as much as we used to because it was so effective and it's really difficult to guard when you have when I mean the shooters that we have improved or how they've improved. Josh is you know a little a little inconsistent, hot and cold, but Dorian, yeah. Tim Hardaway, and Jalen Brunson like all solid, reliable shooters. So mm-hmm. I think bringing that back could that could be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, and. Lauren, you were kind of talking about this play-in tournament situation. Um, You know, we're familiar with the format, right? Like the seventh and the eighth seed now have to compete against the ninth and the tenth seed. So the way it looks is that 
the seventh and eight seed face off. The winner of that game is automatically the seventh seed. So it doesn't matter if it's the eight seed that beats the seventh. They automatically go in as the seventh seed. Now, if you lose that game, it's the winner of the ninth and the tenth seed. And then, you know, obviously you have to win that game in order to maintain your spot in the playoffs. Otherwise, a ninth or a tenth seed could come in and assume that eight seed spot. So with that being said, Lauren, you know, Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban, um, you know, our guys, we love them. You know, they they kind of said some uh, some comments that I feel like if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, they would be like, no, the playing tournament's a great idea. So um, when you kind of heard Luka Doncic explain why he doesn't like the playing tournament, does that kind of mindset um, trouble you at all? Or is it just kind of he people I don't want to paint this in a poor light. You know, it could be just like a cultural difference, basically, you know, like maybe he's just saying you know, how he really feels instead of having, you know, that killer mentality, like bring it on, you know what I mean? So when you heard that, how did you feel about Lucas comments? Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the exact words that he used. So basically he was like, um, you know, I don't understand why we have this playing tournament. So you go in, you know, maybe lose two games and then you're out of the playoffs. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It was along those lines. Yeah. So I, very like when I hear it, I'm with you. My instant reaction was like, okay, if the shoe's on the other foot, if you're the nine ten seed because maybe you lost a couple of more games in the beginning with the health and safety protocols, or maybe Porzingis had been out a little bit longer, and you need these extra games to prove who you are now as a team, mm-hmm. they would absolutely be saying, <laughs> "Yay, play in!" So it's kind of like, okay, I get it. You know, it sucks when you're on the side of that where you're you're vulnerable. Like you're the one that has to like it's tough. But or you have more you have more to lose than than to gain I should say, um, but I kind of just eh, like eh, I don't really take away too much from it because I absolutely believe if the shoe was on the other foot both of those guys right. would be all for it. I mean, does anybody here really think that Luka Doncic doesn't have you know enough killer instinct in him to go win <laughs> win a playoff game? Did you not Did see the really? last game that the game winner? I'm- that's what I mean. Like yeah. he, he's, he seems like more than just about any of these young guys that we talk about as the futures of the league to just kind of be built for it. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's kind of been just in the spotlight since the, since he first showed up over here, you know, mm-hmm. we hear all the time about these, you know, young, young, basically kids getting signed to professional contracts in Europe. And then by the time they come over here, like some of them have had four or five years of of professional experience, but Mm -hmm. you're like, you look at the numbers and people don't really know how to, how to, you know, translate the numbers from, you know, other leagues to the the NBA because the playing time is different. The amount they, they, how long the games are are different and just all kinds of things don't add up one-to-one. So people see that, you know, his numbers weren't anything that didn't seem that great in Europe, but they've just been, you know, off the charts since he's been here. And so I, I don't think it's something to really worry about. I do kind of think like what Steven said, it has something to do with just, you know, he isn't from the United States and doesn't really care if the media knows how he really feels. And right. Because he probably, hasn't, he probably hasn't spent his whole life in from AAU on up being taught how to deal with the media and not say anything, say a lot without actually saying anything. So, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really bother me. I just, you know, I don't think, like you said, it, it's all situation based. I think if they needed it, they'd love it. And if, if you don't need it and you don't want it, this is the worst possible season to have it because <laughs> the second half of this season has been so jammed together already that any extra games sound awful. I'm sure to a lot of these guys. Yeah, that's a, that's another good. That's a good way to look at it as well, for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just real quick, I didn't have so much a problem with what Lucas said, but Mark Cuban kind of chiming in. I was like, okay, like this is something that the governors were saying. Like it's not fair that teams will tank and then right. get get a chance to get a top draft pick, and so we're going to implement this playing tournament now, which is supposed to kind of counteract the tanking mentality. And now we have a governor saying, like, I don't know if this is such a great idea all of a sudden. So I don't know. I just thought it was kind of funny. I don't think it holds much weight at all. But, Lauren, I just, you know, you cover the maps. So I just wanted to kind of get your your thoughts and feelings about that. So, um, Lauren, before we move on to our season favorites, what's your expectation for the Mavericks for the remainder of the year? So I do expect them to be part of the play-in tournament. I think the closer we get – we do have actually – let me – everything this we have a pretty easy schedule coming up we've got like two games against the lakers but outside of that month of may is like it's it's golden and and i don't know say what you will about the lakers right now so maybe those are easy games maybe they're not but um but these are winnable games and so it's portland like we could catch portland maybe i don't know but denver is it's it's so unfortunate to see what I don't know what to think of Denver anymore. Like I, I, it, there, it changes so much losing Jamal more Jamal Murray. Like that's, that's huge. And so I don't know what, what things look like for them as they start to get closer to the finish line. Do they start to rest players a little bit more, maybe lose a few and maybe we win a few because we're trying to get out of the play. in I really don't know, but I would say I would expect us to be a part of the play. in I expect us to come out of the play in and be either that seventh or eighth seed. Um, and if we go up against Utah, that's tough. But if we go up against Phoenix, like I said, if we go up against anyone outside of LA or healthy LA, Denver, and Utah, I'm, I'm picking us to win. Fair enough. And I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I don't, I'm not so sure about the Phoenix matchup. I do think, you know, with uh, Chris Paul and uh, the, they have a, a number of young athletic wing players, but I think maybe that youth could, could end up biting them in a playoff scenario so that would actually be an interesting match to see but um I, like you said outside of denver which without murray like maybe that's not as big of a threat now. and um, obviously a healthy lebron and ad is scary for all teams not just in the western conference right so with that being said lauren i would um love for you just to kind of go ahead and share with us who you have as the favorites to make it out of both conferences and ultimately who you think is going to be the NBA champion for this season. So this is not a question that I love to answer just because I haven't been a huge fan of how the buyout market has played out. But unfortunately I do think the Lakers will come out. And I also think the, if they're healthy, if they're healthy. Um, And then I also think Brooklyn's going to come out. I will say I have been, Praying that however this ends up playing out in the Eastern Conference, that you get a Philly-Brooklyn Eastern Conference Finals or a Milwaukee-Brooklyn Eastern Conference Finals because I think those two teams are, if anybody's going to take them out, it's one of those two mm-hmm. and nobody else. And so, like, I'm, I just don't think Miami can get it done. Um, but I do think Brooklyn will come out because it's just, if they're healthy, like, that's so much talent. How are you supposed to beat that team four teams? I don't think so. So, and then at that point, if it's Brooklyn versus LA, I don't want to kind of like go against LeBron, but I would pick Brooklyn over LA. That's fair. Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of agree with you because, I mean, these are three of the best isolation players in the NBA. I just kind of curious, like, they get labeled a super team, and I understand why, but I mean, it's a super team that's only played seven 
games mm-hmm. together. So, I mean, I think that takes a little bit of super out of the team there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you know, condolences to the, to the rest of the career for LaMarcus Aldridge, because we just found yeah. out today that, that he's retiring due to heart conditions. And, uh, you know, obviously he's choosing the right thing, his health and the safety yeah. of himself for his family. Number one thing, he didn't lose sight of that, you know, happy for him, but you know, the selfish NBA fan of me is going to miss seeing him play, especially this yeah. season. So, um, awesome. What do you think about Lauren's takes on the East and West? I mean, you can't really argue against them too much. It's it's a, you know solid reasoning behind both teams. Obviously, they're they're the teams. I think a lot of just about everybody thinks if everyone's healthy is going to be you know the eventual finals. I personally still like Philadelphia. I think that they've shown a lot of a, a lot a lot a lot of people that they're not just Joe L. this year. I think the best thing that happened to them could have been his injury for those couple of weeks, just almost as a mental kind of thing. Cause they, for two or three years, that team hardly ever won a game when he didn't play and no matter how good they were. And then also just the, the emergence of, um, Oh God, I can't now Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris really stepping into that second scoring option role ahead of, of Ben Simmons in terms of offensive, you know, options, I think is it makes that team so much better because he can do more things offensively, I think, than than Ben Simmons can or, or wants to or whatever. And Ben Simmons can kind of just focus on being that you know ridiculous lockdown defender that he's been. And we've seen multiple instances where he gets put on the best player on the other team and they get shut down for, for an extended period of time. I think they've they've got obviously adding Seth Curry has added another dimension to that team that they didn't have that I think you you would probably know what that's all about, Lauren, for sure. <laughs> I didn't understand that that trade when it happened. I've never been a big Josh Richardson fan of at least of, of his game, but I just think you know Philadelphia's got a, a pretty good shot of, to beat the Nets, and it's for the simple reason, like Stephen said, seven games is nothing. Like all the if you want to say that the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics back in the late. 2000s early 2010s were the first super teams which they weren't but a lot of people kind of act like that's the beginning of them both those teams took a year before they won a title you know and they they took a lot of bumps along the way and they played a lot of games together before that happened and this team absolutely just hasn't played together and who knows how it'll look with all three of them out there and, and not having LaMarcus Aldridge is going to hurt them. Like, mm-hmm. don't get it wrong. Like he was towards the end of his career and he wasn't the offensive threat that he used to be, but he's a big, big, big body inside that you need against a, a Joel Embiid. And he, wow. we know how much, how many fouls he draws against people. Like he's going to get you in foul trouble and you can't run those small ball lineups that Brooklyn's so deadly and very often with him on the other end. Cause he'll, he'll just keep scoring on you over and over he'll just keep going to the free throw line so i I think the east it it could be a really really exciting eastern conference finals and i mean anyone that's ever watched our show knows i'm not going to pick against the lakers so yeah i mean he so lauren you'll have to forgive austin he is a laker fan so um you know everyone has problems that's his right Right. so right um, (laughs) it is it is it it has been an issue i get judged by a lot of people for it and rightfully so so i mean it's the most successful franchise in the NBA. So, I mean, you can't really get picked at too terribly hard bandwagon. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) all right. But yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with you guys, obviously. Uh, I don't count out Utah Jazz. I hear a lot of people, I I hear a lot of people compare them to the Atlanta Hawks and the 
um, Toronto yeah. Raptors and stuff like that. And I get it because, you know, they're a smaller market team. They're kind of flash in the pan. They're not always this high or whatever, but awesome. We've talked about this a lot. You know, what separates them from the, you know, this Atlanta Hawks comparison is they have a, an absolute go-to scorer in Donovan Mitchell who can put the team on his back when no one else is hitting. He can go and get them, you know, four, five, six buckets in a row on his own. Mm-hmm. They have a really great head coach. They shoot well. They rebound well. They defend well. They have bench presence, which those teams didn't have. I think if you're going to compare them to teams of yesterday, I think the Dallas Mavericks and the Detroit Pistons, when they won championships, are a little bit more appropriate in my estimation. Lauren, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I like that. I do. I I actually had a conversation with, uh, I was a guest on a podcast, uh, Utah Jazz podcast called Home Court Press, and we were, they were comparing uh, previous like underdog winners to this Mm -hmm. current Utah Jazz team. And we kind of looked at some numbers, like you've got, Jason, you had Jason Kidd in, in Dallas, and now you've got Mike Conley, kind of this veteran presence who's having an amazing year with Utah. And then you've got this, your go-to franchise guy in Donovan Mitchell. But then you've also got Rudy Gobert, who was kind of like a souped-up Tyson Chandler, who just, I mean, mm. the Jazz are a tough team. And so while if the Jazz were to go up against the Lakers, I would pick the Lakers. My thing with the Jazz, you can't, you cannot discount what they do as a, as a group. Like the numbers... If you don't believe it because the maybe the top tier talent or the talent on that on that team isn't Kawhi, LeBron, Kevin Durant, you can't discount what they do and it's in the numbers if if you don't believe me. And so they're going to be a tough team for anyone to go up against. And so I will absolutely be watching every well, I'll watch every playoff game, but I will be <laughs> interested to see who they match up with because they could they could get a favorable matchup that they might just I don't know. I w- I wouldn't be surprised like I'm not gonna pick them. I hate saying this, but there are just certain teams that I wouldn't pick them over, but I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled an upset. I really wouldn't. They've got a lot of really great things going on, going on over there in Utah. Agreed. You know, they've, they've got health on their side. They've got six guys that score in double figures. So, and it's in a lot of guys that can shoot the ball and they're not all going to go cold at once very often. You know, mm-hmm. you've got two or three guys, you know, ready to go. If, if this guy's not scoring like he normally does. And, and if you really look at it, the jazz are kind of the perfect, prototype team for today's NBA just on both sides of the ball. They protect the rim. They've got guys that can switch on defense. They can shoot the lights out from three and they're great at moving the ball and getting open shots and they play so well together. I mean, they the Spurs teams that that beat, you know, that first Miami three big three team, just the way they, you know, it's like poetry in motion. Sometimes, you, you know, you can't even follow the ball. They're moving it around so quick and boom, they've got another open three and they make them at an, a, an impressive clip. You know, I've, I've liked to joke. This isn't your dad's Utah jazz. You know, they're not <laughs> just out there running a two man pick and roll and, and scoring 80, 90 points a game like they were for so long. I mean, that worked for them then too, but they're, like Steven said, they're not the Atlanta Hawks of a few years ago, not even close. I think the best player on that team might be the third best player on this team. I, I just think they've got, you know, three or four guys that you can really count on in big moments and that have done it all year. And there's no reason to think that they can't keep doing what they've been doing. Right. Yeah. And, and then one other thing real quick, I've heard one of the biggest complaints is that they're going to get run off the floor defensively. Like Rudy Gobert in the playoffs is going to get run off the floor. And in certain matchups, I do think, yes, that could absolutely be the case. Like the Lakers, if they end up going against, that's going to be very tough. If Anthony Davis is is the matchup there. Um, 
But on the other hand, like the numbers, the numbers are there. They're top five in offensive rating. They're top five in defensive rating. And the last I checked, they were first in net rating. So mm-hmm. one of the bit, like when you're comparing to them, them to the Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns have Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, a lot of really switchable, those, those Jay defense Crowder. Jake Crowder. Yeah. Like these guys that have length and can guard a bunch of people on the perimeter, but the jazz, like their numbers are there. So they might be really strong, a really strong three point shooting team. And they might have a lot of depth that people look at and they're like, well, that's a lot of offensive depth, but where's the defense? Their defensive numbers are there. So I will be interested to see how they match up and, and what they do to try and uh, hide Rudy Gobert in certain situations. If he is going to get played off the court, because, uh, because he can't switch on certain teams. I want to see what Quinn Snyder can can do to to kind of hide that as best as he can, or or at least kind of did the um, like minimize that as best as he can. But it'll be really interesting for sure. So Austin and I, we try to dispel that whole theory as much as we can here on the show because I'm a fan of Rudy Gobert. Austin is like a super duper mega fan. Like he has a poster of him hanging up in his room. I think. Oh yeah, several, several. <laughs> but you know, Lauren, just to kind of back up what you're saying about Rudy Gobert. I believe he's leading the last I looked and it's been a couple of days, but um, the last time I looked on Synergy, I don't know if you're familiar with Synergy Sports Science. It's a great website for stats and stuff like that. If you're nerdy about it, like Austin and I, it is. but he leads the league in points per possession allowed. And he mm-hmm. has a, like a 200 possession advantage over as far as possessions played defensively. Mm-hmm over second place as far as most possessions played defensively. So he it's a narrow margin, but it's still it's still a better margin than Ben Simmons. He has a better points per possession allowed on a insurmountable lead on defensive possessions played per like in the season. And the whole switching thing, like I don't think it's as big a deal in Austin. I know you can speak on this a little bit more eloquently than I can, but he's actually improved his ability to step out and defend on the perimeter as time has gone on, right, Austin? Oh, definitely. You know, his his defensive presence is felt every single time down the court. I mean, the the advanced numbers on his his defensive, just the difference he makes on that team when he's on the court versus off the court the last few seasons is unreal. And like <laughs> yeah. Steven said, he's always at or near the top of most defensive possessions played. You know, he's, he's been in the focal point on – more defensive possessions than just about anybody in the league since he's come in and he's always near the top. I mean, always. And it's, you have to watch a lot of them to really see what it is that, that he does, but he, he doesn't really switch a whole lot. He's kind of like that back line of, of defense. And it's to the point now where teams have tried for so long. You see teams pulling up from six, eight feet instead of going all the way to the rim and taking floaters. Like they like, it was what you saw from Anthony Davis in the finals last year with the Lakers guys were just, you know, he was changing shots just by standing there and Gobert's done that for a long time. And, you know, I think teams have tried everything they can to run him off the floor because they know his defensive value. Like the only people that were up in arms about the contract that he got this year were team were people that aren't actually involved with other NBA teams. Like you didn't hear any, you know, front office people or any sources or unnamed or otherwise saying how in the world did this guy get this contract? So uh, obviously if he's only scoring 13 points a game, he's doing something on the other end that is just, you know, unbelievable. And this, what Steven was alluding to about me having a poster of him in my room, Mm -hmm. I jokingly had this argument with him for 
months that Rudy Gobert could arguably be the most valuable player in the NBA based on how many extra possessions he gives his team on defense. And it was kind of tongue in cheek, but at the same time, I do think he is one of the most underrated players. I, I don't think the jazz have any worries about his ability to, to do it in the playoffs any more than he does done it in the regular season. Yeah. yeah. He, he's so reliable. He's so reliable. He's so solid. And, and the, the guys that co-host uh, the home court press pod, they say, and I, anytime I talk about the Utah jazz, I repeat what they said. Cause I, I just love it. They said, um, uh, what what was it? Donovan Mitchell is the Utah Jazz best player, but Rudy Gobert is by far their most important player. And Rudy. that team with Rudy Gobert is, I mean, he just he completely changes that team and, and with him out, like you said, as opposed to when he's not out there. And so, like I I just really like how they've constructed this team. Continuity is a thing. There is value in continuity and the and good coaching and and chemistry. So. I'm really excited to watch them. I think uh, it'll be, and, and even last year when it was like Jamal, it seemed like it was just Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell, every single fourth yeah. quarter. And that could have easily gone the other way. It really could have. And so I'm excited to see what this team can do. They're having like a crazy, crazy year. So I, I want to see them also put their money where their mouth is and, and, and go do, go impress everybody. Show them what you might have. All right. Yeah, Lauren, and, and that's all fair and good. Those are all great takes, but we're at the part of the segment now where we're going to wrap it up for the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, but Lauren, you graciously agreed to continue on for podcast purposes, so everyone that's listening now, you can get the rest of our thoughts of, on the play-in, the playoffs, and we're also going to get into Lauren's thoughts and opinions on the top 25 players under the age of 25. It's going to be a fun segment. She's got a little bit invested in this list being a Mavs fan but Lauren thank you so much for joining us for the nothing but net channel on dash yes. radio before we close out why don't you let the listeners know where they can follow you and your work yeah so first thank you guys so much for having me this has been very very fun um you can follow all my work is linked to my twitter it's at l gun with four n's um my Mavs Moneyball work is linked to my twitter my podcast links all linked to my Twitter and then uh, everything that I do on the locker room app, which is a really fun app. If anybody wants to come talk about sports um, is also linked through my Twitter. I'll have to check you out on the locker room then for sure. I I like it on there. Sometimes it is fun. Excellent stuff. All right. So Austin, before we wrap up, I want to remind all of our listeners and viewers that they can get 20% off and free shipping with code BTG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BTG Unlock your confidence and as always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So Austin, you know, I always appreciate you. Lauren, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Don't be a stranger. We'll have to invite you on again sometime. It was awesome having you. All right. So on behalf of our awesome guest, my awesome co-host, this has been the Breaking the Game Show. Shout out to Nothing But Net Channel on Dash Radio. Go to offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. This has been the Breaking the Game Show. We'll catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Have a good one. All right, so that's a long enough pause where I can edit that out for the podcast. So just kind of resetting the room here. We are joined by Lauren Gunn. She is the co-host of the Gunshot Podcast and the Blue Hardwood, and she is also a part of SB Nation, a super awesome Mavs fan here on the show. And we're going to continue on the podcast with our top 25 players under the age of 25. Now, Lauren, have you had a chance to see ESPN's what they call um, article on the top 25 players? Are you familiar with this list? 
Yes. So I also had it pulled up right now. There were a couple of, of things that were so significant that I, I could pull them from memory, but I do also have the list pulled up just for reference. All right. I have it up too. So that's good. So between the two of us, we should be able to have a decent conversation about this list. So, um, I want to just run through the list of names real quick. And then Austin, this is going to be the first time that I get your responses to this list on the show as well. So I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to getting your takes too. So ESPN, and I'm going to preference this because I think a lot of people kind of miss this. And even still, if you got it, it's still a little questionable of a list, but maybe you understand it more. This is heavily influenced on potential. So, you know, all these players at their absolute peak, um, they're they're under the age of 25. This is the list in order of how special and how great of a career they're going to have, according to ESPN. Number one, Luka Doncic. I'm sure you were happy to see that one, Lauren. Um, Zion, Zion Williamson. Uh, LaMelo Ball, number three. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Jason Tatum. De'Aaron Fox. Ben Simmons. Devin Booker, Bam Adebayo, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., John Morant, Trey Young, Mikael Bridges, DeMontis Sabonis, Anthony Edwards, DeAndre Ayton, Tyrese Halliburton, John Collins, Jarrett Allen, Lonzo Ball, and wrapping it up at number 25 was Colin Sexton. So, Lauren, what was your reaction to this list? Um, well, actually kind of taking it back to something that we talked about earlier about how media drives certain, Mm -hmm. uh, narratives in order to push maybe certain agendas, I think is, can be somewhat problematic. I'm a big LaMelo Ball fan. Do I think he should be over Jason Tatum, Devin Booker? Like, I don't know. I I don't know that I've seen enough yet so it's i like him but i'm not there yet and so i know that this is all about potential but i do think that there's value in what you've seen players do already and certain steps that they've taken forward like devin booker when he came into the league everyone was like okay yeah kentucky guard pick 11 like we didn't really know what we were getting and then it's like oh my gosh look at this guy go like he's so yes we have seen something similar with Lamelo, but there are certain players that i just I don't know. I they've been around a little bit longer, and I do think that there's respect and, and value that comes with them. I think uh, John Morant being 15 out of 25, I don't like that one bit. I think he needs to be a little bit higher on that list. Um, but it, it's tough. Like I could I could go back and forth all day along around a lot of these guys. I think even John Collins might even need to be up on that list a little bit. But mm-hmm. okay. a lot of it does. What do you say? What was that? No, I was saying okay. Like I'm, said, yeah, I'm with I, you. I. I there are just there are certain guys who I, I think that they've shown not just flashes of potential, but that they're going to be able to continue to develop their game and, and have it go in, in different directions that they weren't originally maybe uh, expected it to go. So I, I, I'm not sure. There's a lot. I could, God, I could go back and forth on this all day. I really like Sabonis. Really, really like Sabonis. I think there's reason enough as to why he should be over Mikhail Bridges. I think Michael Porter should probably be maybe a little bit higher on that list. I, it's it's tough. It's really tough. But yeah, I don't agree with the list. There's a lot of things that I think are need to be switched on. You know, I I, I think Stephen, you you'll know better than anybody how high I am on Lamella Wall, and having him third on this lit on the ESPN list made me not even i haven't even read the whole list to be completely honest (laughs) i saw uh, some of the highlights of it and i do have your list in front of me but i have a question for you guys since you have the other one up did michael porter jr was he on that top 25 
Yeah, he is. He was. He was. Okay. I think he was fourteen, if I'm not mistaken. 14. 14. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that makes me feel better. I thought for some reason I didn't hear you say him, and I thought he wasn't on the list. And to be totally honest, um, you know, Sabonis, you guys both said a lot of nice things about him. I am from Indianapolis. I do by kind of default follow a lot of Pacers news. And I'll be completely honest with you. He puts up really good numbers. He's fun to watch, but it doesn't really translate in terms of wins and losses. The The team tends to be every bit the same when he's not out there. And so that, that says something to me about it. But I mean, neither list is bad, Steven. I'm looking at yours now. Yours is awesome. I know I know. I told you that before. I appreciate I don't think that. There, there needs to be quite as much projection as apparently what ESPN was putting into their list. Because, I mean, Jason Tatum is is as good or or better than anybody that you you named out of the twenty five guys you named, other than maybe Luka Doncic and maybe eventually Zion, and, and Zion might already be there. I don't know. Those those two guys are kind of to me in a class of their own. I think I would have Tatum probably third, but I, I also think Michael Porter Jr. is the sky's the limit for that guy too. I think we're gonna see now. With, you know, I hate seeing Murray get injured. I think it's a terrible thing, but I told you off the air, Stephen, I think for them in the long run, it could be a blessing in disguise. It gives them a whole year where there's not going to be as many expectations when without Murray coming, you know, going into next season, you can almost expect he's going to miss most, if not all of next year. So they get a whole season with Michael Porter Jr. basically as their number two option. And I just think to win titles in the NBA, you need a, a wing player with the size and, and playmaking ability that he has, which is, you know, if you look down your lists, even all of these guys are, are even the ones that are guards are big guards that have size, you know, mm-hmm. Devin Booker is the first guy on your list. That's not, that doesn't stick out as a guy with great, really great positional size and he's not little. And, you know, how is, how in the world do you have LaMelo ball? Who's played half a season in a weird season too under no real pressure with no real stakes whatsoever, never really had to worry about how good they did because even if he is considered the guy who has to lead that team, no one expects them to win right now. And I mean, we've heard for a couple seasons now that Devin Booker needs to take this team to the next, needs to take the next step and, and prove he can win and all this. And he's done that. And, you know, Trey Young's doing that in Atlanta. Donovan Mitchell's doing that in Utah and they're, out there night after night we've seen these guys do it in the playoffs or at least with some of them donovan mitchell showed last year in the playoffs against jamal murray how how special he can be on offense and you know however you want to look at it however you want to break it down steven i think your list to me at least makes a lot more sense but no matter what you want to say about the lists is the nba is in incredibly good hands if you ask me I i think there's a lot to be excited about in the future yeah, and so Lauren, what I'm gonna do? Um, let me see if I can do this. Uh, all right, here we go. Oh, so nice. I'm gonna nice. share. I'm gonna share my list. Um, this is on OffTheBallNetwork.com, where you can get all of your sports needs. This is my list here, and so I'm not gonna read it all, but I have my kind of logic behind the list take here. And basically, I called out like what is potential? Like when you turn 25, does your potential run out? Obviously, that's kind of a silly statement because Jimmy Butler, you know, Julius Randle, players like that who, you know, keep adding to their game over and over and over again. So I don't suspect for any reason that a guy who is like a couple months away from being 25 should be held at a different level of potential and things like that. And um, I did hold 
accolades and kind of prove it stuff to my list, Lauren. So hopefully you kind of agree a little bit more with my list, but if not, you know, pick me apart and, you know, it'll make me, it'll make me a better analyst. So, um, I do agree that Luka Doncic is number one. I think that that's an easy decision. I have Jason Tatum second. I have Zion Williamson third. I have Jalen Brown fourth because I value what he does defensively. Um, and he has shown that he can be a go-to scorer this season. He's proved that this year. Um, I have Devin Booker fifth, Donovan Mitchell sixth, Trey Young seventh, Bam Adebayo eighth, Brandon Ingram ninth, Shea Gilgis Alexander tenth, Ben Simmons eleventh, De'Aaron Fox twelfth, John Morant thirteenth, Jamal Murray fourteenth, Michael Porter Jr. fifteenth, Lamelo Ball sixteenth. DeMontis Sabonis, 17th. OG Ananobi, who wasn't on ESPN's list, I have him at 18. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton at 19. At John Collins at 20. DeAndre Hunter from the Atlanta Hawks, who wasn't on ESPN's list at all, I have him 21. DeAndre Ayton at 22. Lonzo Ball, 23. RJ Barrett, who wasn't on the list at all, at 24. And my 25th pick, Lauren, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know this was heavily influenced by potential I had him as the number one pick in this last draft and advanced stats went into my play here. If you got someone else at 25, I'm not going to be mad. And then I also just real quick made a statement that anyone between 12th and 17th, it's here on my statement for De'Aaron Fox. I I could have gone either way with a lot of those, but this is kind of how I viewed and valued them um, for the time being right now. So Lauren, after kind of hearing my list and seeing a little bit of it, um, how do you how do you feel about where I have players ranked? Did you see any uh, significant gripes or where you would shuffle players around? No, I, I like what you said about 12 through 17 could easily be. I mean, there you can make a case on, on a lot of these different guys to, to maybe move them around. Um, I think when I when I look at some of these players, I it's hard to to look at. Where are they playing? What's their role within that team? And how does that differentiate them on these lists? Um, because I, I'm very high on John Morant. I probably I probably would have had, I mean, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 9. Um, because I when have I on, at- my, on my list, by the way, I said that I have him at 13, and I hate that I have him there. I think that he's he just really got has. so much stuff to his game that he should mm-hmm. be higher. But I just I have a hard time finding anything definitively to point at to suggest that he should be like he does have kind of like that intangible quality about his game that Mm -hmm. like my heart wants to put him so much higher. I just I didn't have anything to point at. Right. Right. And I mean, there are just there are so many guys that show that they can do so many different like what you said with Jalen Brown is a perfect example about how he. He came to the league and he was one thing like coming out of Cal and then he he comes in and he shows that he's willing and able to take this step up and just be this go-to guy on both ends of the floor and and bam nobody even really knows what bam is because he's so special he's so unique he's so he's got so much talent and miami without bam like not not that they're not that they're like bad without bam but like he's so huge he's such a huge part of that team so it's it's really hard to say oh top to 25 under 25 like there's potential there's most important there's well, how is their potential going to grow given the role that they're in, mm-hmm. given the state of their team? You know, like the Mavs are trying to win. There are some other teams who are kind of maybe more in the rebuild. And so it's it's really hard to differentiate there. But yeah, I mean, like Austin said, the league is in really, really good hands. And some of these young players, it's just, it's crazy what they can do and how they're going to continue to change the game. Like some of these guys, they just, 
they do things differently than what we're than what we've seen. And so I can't wait to see where things go because these guys, they're for real, man. They're they're just they're so fun. Mm-hmm. I think if you if you look at it from terms of okay, these two guys that you have, which one's better? Trade them for each other and see how the other would yeah, fare like in that. the other's situation. I think there's something to be said about that in just terms of thinking about it because I think if you put some of the guys that are really high on ESPN's list, you know, switch them with a, a Devin Booker and put them in in Phoenix with Chris Paul. Are they going to be anywhere near? Is Lamelo Ball going to be as successful with that team as as Booker is right now? I don't think so because right. Booker's their number one scoring option, and that's what they need from him. They, they wouldn't need the kind of playmaking all around thing that Lamelo can bring, and and so and at the same time, we, we've never seen him with any pressure on him whatsoever. So. I just think having a guy that's played half a season like that, that high on that list, I think is going to kind of discredit it to a lot of people. Now in a couple of years, I could, you know, eat my words and LaMelo ball could be in the running for the MVP. Who knows? But right now I think it's, it's pretty obvious just looking at the list and without even looking up any numbers or anything like the names and what they bring to mind on Steven's list, the order makes a lot more sense than Mm -hmm. the other list. Just like, when I think of okay, who are the top five young stars in the in the NBA? Lamelo Ball doesn't come to mind, not not really to me. And, and he might soon, but I just I think I felt I feel like some spots they were trying to be like different than what everybody maybe thought they were going to say and, and mm-hmm. project out something that nobody else was saying. And and I get that for sure. Like Stephen knows, I write some stuff sometimes just to to get a rise out of uh, reaction out of people, <laughs> just to stir the pot. Yeah, and to be honest, they're the most successful articles usually that I put out. So <laughs> there is something to be said about just you know saying something a little bit outlandish sometimes. But that goes back to what we talked about earlier: is it responsible to to you know just put out whatever for a top twenty-five list? And you know, I like uh, Ananobi just as much as you too, Stephen. I thought I was pretty surprised to see that he wasn't on there. You know, I don't think they took you know two-way guys into account a whole lot if he was left off because. I'd be hard pressed to find a guy, in my opinion, that's that's much better on both sides of the ball at that age. It hurt me so much not to put uh, Gary Trent Jr. in there because right. I'm a big fan of what he's doing, and he's our Toronto. guy now. If you didn't know, Lauren, he <laughs> kind of became our guy all yeah. of a sudden. I like it. We told we we were saying that Portland should have gave him the Tyler Hero treatment that Miami's given him. Like, don't trade him unless it's like something. Why in the world they traded him for another expiring contract of a guy that has no reason to stay there? And they like if if the money was the issue, they don't have the money to keep him either. Like yeah, yeah. it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. I my brother when we first were like kind of breaking down the trade deadline, he was like, "Not that like I know age comes into this, and there there are so many things that go into this, but you didn't really I don't there wasn't a whole lot of like he didn't really it was a kind of a lateral movement like you didn't right." Not really address what Anything. you needed to address and it just it might be a very short-term move so i don't get it yeah to yeah, me if anything like they, they got have... less versatile mm-hmm. and and they had other things that were more important that they could have tried to address from a trade standpoint than like you said going for a guy that plays basically the same position and numbers aren't much different except he's a little bit older and a little bit more expensive and doesn't have history here with these players at all so you have even less of a chance of keeping him long term a little smaller little worse defender so right uh, <laughs> and the defense is something they sorely need yeah well lauren i just want to thank you so much for your time and even you know obviously the extra time that you gave us for the podcast 
Um, I want to encourage everyone who had an opportunity to watch and listen to please go follow, follow Lauren and her work. It's great stuff. Uh, I'm new to following it, but I'm definitely going to be plugged in more and more. And Lauren, you know, we'd love to have you back, you know, down the line. So please don't be a stranger to the show. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been awesome. All righty. Well, been an awesome guest. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so for Austin, for Lauren, for myself, for all of our great sponsors and network affiliations that we have, this has been the Break in the Game show. We'll catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. You guys have a good one. Thank you.